Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming to you today with a podcast of my friend Jason Lloyd from The Athletic in Cleveland. Jason just had a new book, The Blueprint, come out this week about uh, LeBron James and the path the Cleveland Cavaliers have taken from the time LeBron left in 2010 to when he came back in 2014 through them winning Cleveland's first championship in a half century uh, in 2016 and to where they are today. Uh, It's a fascinating read. Uh, Jason is the only guy that's been around that team from the time LeBron left until now. He's been there every day, virtually every single game, home and road. Uh, And it's a, it's a great, it's a great look at a really wild seven plus years for the Cavs and, and really for the whole league. And um, so Jason came on the podcast today to talk about that and also to talk about, you know, the continuing uh, insanity that surrounds the Cavs now, but still one of the most interesting names in the league, even with all the craziness that's going, that uh, that's happened in the past, they still, they still manage to be interesting. Now, there was a bit of an audio issue in the second half of the pod. You'll probably notice it shifts at one point. Uh, it, it still sounds good. I think everybody will enjoy it, but just want to let you guys know that. Um, but yeah, we touched on the first half of the pod. We touched on everything that's happening with the team now, and then we got into the book and how Jason came around to writing it and, and some of the stuff he enjoyed about it. So I think it's a fun pod. I think you guys will enjoy it, but without a further ado, let me get to my conversation with Jason Lloyd, new author of The Blueprint. All right, Jason, thanks for coming on, man. Uh, we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about your new book in a bit. But first, let's talk about the odd opening week for the Cavs, including uh, last night's loss to the Nets, uh, following kind of a weird performance against the Bulls uh, the day before. Um, what, what is kind of your assessment of these guys uh, a week into the season? They've changed over half the roster yet nothing's really changed. This is still a team that just sets its own house on fire just to try and have the opportunity to put it out. That's why I said about them all last year, and that's the way that they are again. They've given up 17 three-pointers now in three straight games to the Magic, the Bulls, and the Nets. This is not the Rockets, Warriors, and Spurs they're playing. Uh, This is the, the bottom feeders of the East, and they can't bother to defend for more than six or seven minutes in a game and uh, it looks uh, it looks a lot like last year looked, even though they've turned over eight of the fifteen guys on the roster. Yeah, that that's kind of you know I was with you at the Bucks game and the Celtics game. Obviously, the Celtics game kind of became a weird situation with the whole Gord Hayward injury. Everything after that was kind of just sure. strange. But but even the Bucks game, like they had the nice stretch late in the third quarter to kind of blow that game open. But otherwise, they just seemed like they were kind of stuck in neutral most of the night and. And that, you know, you, you mentioned it, they, that preceded a blowout against the Magic, uh, blowout lost the Magic at home the next night. And then, uh, you know, and then a weird game against the Bulls where they kind of struggled to pull away the whole game. And then, you know, last night against the Nets, they were down a lot of the game. And, and then, you know, obviously it was kind of a crazy last minute. But uh, like you said, certainly not, uh, certainly not the kind of performances you'd expect from them, you know, given that these aren't, you know, not even, these aren't even teams that are, you know, potential playoff teams. I mean, I think most people think those are all teams that are going to probably have 30 or less wins this season, if not way less than that. And they're, they're still struggling pretty muddily with them. Yeah. And, you know, in their defense, it's hard to conjure up a defense with the way they played the last three games, but they have had uh, injuries already 
not that that should be a surprise with Derek and Dwayne. Right. Uh, but their their rotation is a bit discombobulated still. And this was, again, this was the problem all year last year was it was constantly guys were getting hurt. J.R. Smith breaks his thumb and misses, I can't remember now, three months. I think it was two, three months. Yeah, at least. Uh, yeah. Kevin Love has his knee scoped. He's down for a month. And the rotating door of big men from Andrew Bogut, who was in town, his coffee didn't even get cold. And he was <laughs> hurt and, and gone. And then Larry Sanders was a disaster, and that didn't work. So they never they went all year without a point guard, without a backup point guard to Kyrie. So right. it was just – last year was just a really screwy year. And I asked Ty last night, I'm like, hey, man, I know it's only a week in the season, but this feels like we're going down the same road as last year. He's like, oh, I hope not. I really hope not. It is too early to draw any sort of rash conclusions. But, you know, Derrick Rose, I mean, they've had a different point guard in three of their five games, a different starting point guard. Now they're hopeful, they're hopeful to get Derrick back for Saturday's game at New Orleans, and if not Saturday, then Sunday at home. Um, and, and Dwayne probably, Dwayne was a late scratch yesterday with knee problems. Well, not really late, but the morning of, we expected him to play yesterday, and they right. ended up scratching him with with swelling in his knee, that's, I mean, that's what you're going to get with Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose. And, you know, it's a, and the Cavs, you know, what they have going for them is they have one of the best medical teams in the league because of their connections to the Cleveland Clinic. So if they can get Dwayne and Derrick upright and on the court for 65 games this year, uh, I think that's a victory. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. I mean, those are two guys that have dealt with plenty of issues. And, and like you said, I, I, I went to the box score last night, and I initially just assumed that because uh, I was at another game. I I just initially assumed that Dwayne was given the night off because it was a back to back, and then I real I found out that he you know had this you know this knee contusion, and that that was why he was sitting out instead. And, and to your point, you know the, you're, when you're relying on those two guys in particular, the, that's that's what you're going to deal with. You're going to have both of them in and out of the lineup, and as you also said, that that's something that that these guys became all too familiar with last year when you know they had a variety of other guys who missed time and they never really got in a rhythm. We'll see. We'll see how long they can stay healthy. Obviously they were still waiting on Isaiah Thomas to come back as well. That should happen uh, sometime in December. They're hoping. Uh, and, and then they can really start to put this thing together. But um, until, until at least you've set Isaiah aside for now, uh, because you don't even know what you're going to get when he does come back. Right. But if they can at least get Derek and Dwayne back, and get into some sort of rhythm of a rotation. You know, Dwayne, they finally got Dwayne convinced to go to the bench. Um, and and that'll really help their rotation now and, and help their floor balance. Um, so but they just need to get these guys back on the floor so they can start to develop a, a consistent rotation. Yeah, and that was the other thing. I mean, they're, they're always, as, as you know better than anybody, which we'll get to later with the book, there's always drama around the Cavs, uh, whether LeBron Absolutely. has been there or not. And and the, the Dwayne Wade thing this week has been interesting. We we were, you know, you and me and Joe Vard and Dave McMenamin were talking last week, and it just, you know, their, their team just was not looking – uh, the Cavs are not looking the same as they had the last few years, and they built this really consistent identity of having LeBron running a pick and roll surrounded by three shooters. I mean, it was just a lineup that had had really become the core identity of this team, and you know it helped power the Cavs to three straight finals and to win a championship. And you know now all of a sudden you had Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose starting. Then you you, know, you uh, there just was not nearly as much spacing on the court that led to Kevin Love starting. Uh, and then all of a sudden Monday, Dwayne Wade says his idea, it's his idea to go to the bench. And, you know, after Ty Lewis said a bunch of times, he wasn't going to start LeBron at point guard. Uh, then he comes out 
for the last two games and starts what I think is their best lineup, which is LeBron at point guard surrounded by uh, Jay Crowder, J.R. Smith, and Kevin Love with Tristan Thompson playing center. And then you have LeBron running pick and rolls with Tristan surrounded by three shooters, which is back to the identity this team has always had. So uh, for those who are not in Cleveland, or, or at least with the team, I know you're not in Cleveland right now, what um, can you kind of walk us through how that all came about and it, how permanent you think some of these changes are? Dwayne to the bench is permanent. Uh, and, and I guess to back up and, and how do we get here, this is what Ty wanted all along. Ty wanted Dwayne coming off the bench, and Dwayne more or less resisted because he's a 12-time All-Star and uh, a finals MVP and a three-time champion. And I don't know if he came to terms yet with the fact that that's where his career was headed as, as he's now a bench player. And I think it took him some time to adjust to that and to come to that conclusion. And, and I give Ty a lot of credit because uh, Ty could have forced the issue, but it could have really soured Dwayne's attitude. It could have impacted LeBron's attitude. And instead Ty was willing to sacrifice some games early in the season to prove his point that this isn't going to work. And you can say, Oh, you know, it's the coach's job to put the best lineup on the floor. And of course that's true, but you also, I mean, (laughs) the players run the league anymore. The players dominate this league and everyone has to be in lockstep with each other or it's going to cause major problems. And I kept writing all along that I thought that this Dwayne thing could send this Cavs organization sideways just because five people were impacted by Dwayne joining the Cavs on the Eva training camp when he did, because what we just mentioned. So because Dwayne wanted to start, Dwayne goes in the starting lineup that knocks J.R. Smith out of the rotation. That's one out of the starting lineup. I'm sorry. That's mm-hmm. one. that moves Kevin Love to center to get more shooting on the floor and Jay Crowder, which bumps Tristan Thompson to the bench. That's two. So now Tristan's lost his starting spot, which bumped Channing Fry out of the rotation, which bumped RJ Richard Jefferson off the roster. So it had really had a chain effect here. Um, and it was sort of clogging the drain a little bit. And now that now things are going back to the way they are. Now this is Ty's getting this back to where he wants it. Right. Dwayne's on the bench. JR is back in the starting lineup. I, th- I think you're going to see Jay Crowder off the bench eventually when they get this thing where they want it rotation wise. I think you're going to see, he started Tristan Thompson the last couple of games at center. And I think that's going to continue to be the case. So you, so you uh, think you Isaiah, know, when Isaiah comes back, in theory, assuming he is healthy, he would start and Crowder would come off the bench? Yeah, I, I think ultimately the lineup you're going to see on the floor January, February, March, April, if Isaiah can return to the player that he was, which is a big if. Sure. You know, this is a major injury he's coming back from. And I, I think it's foolish to just assume he's going to be the same player because I, I just think that's a large assumption to make 100% but for the purposes of this argument. Yeah. But for the purposes of this argument, we'll say he's back to himself or close to the player that he was last year. Isaiah, Jr., LeBron, Kevin, and Tristan is going to be your starting lineup. It's the same lineup essentially that they've had the last couple of years. Obviously Isaiah in place of Kyrie, but he's, a very good three-point shooter. Isaiah is a good three-point shooter, as was Kyrie. Yep. And then you've got Derek, Dwayne, and uh, Jay Crowder coming off the bench. It's a pretty good bench. And then you can also have you can also fit Channing Fry back into that second unit to space the floor and add another three-point shooter. Channing really doesn't play against the Warriors, uh, but he's one of those guys that was a key piece to get them to that point, and he's out of the rotation right now for a lot of the reasons that we've just discussed. So that's also a way to get him back in the rotation. 
So I think ultimately that's the way it's going to fall. It just may take him a while to get to that point. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. And I, I want to ask about Isaiah in a second just to see where he's at. But do you do you think that Kai uh, that uh, that Ty gets enough credit for um, for his ability to manage the locker room? Because in my I, my opinion, I think that a lot of people uh, just kind of look at him and say, "Oh, here's this guy who's just you know doing whatever LeBron says," which I, I think is nonsense. And I, I think he does not personally get nearly enough credit. Um, for the way he has been able to manage what I think is a, one of the more difficult locker rooms in the league to have a handle on because not only do you have LeBron there, who's a huge personality, but you had Kyrie Irving the last couple of years. Now you have Kevin Love. Now you have all these other, you know, you have Dwayne Wade, you have Derrick Rose, you have Jay Crowder, you have Tristan Thompson, you have all these veteran, J.R. Smith, you have all these veteran guys. I mean, it's not like they have uh, a bunch of young guys you can just tell what to do and they'll do it. I mean, like you said, you can't just tell Dwayne Wade, hey, this is what you're going to do. Like you have to work with him and get him to kind of come around to your line of thinking. And I think, you know, what, regardless of the exact uh, way this played out, whether it was 100% Dwayne or a combination or whatever, um, I, I do think that, that he deserve, that Ty deserves a lot of credit for the way he's been able to keep uh, what could be, like you said, a very fractured locker room on the same page. 100 billion million thousand percent agree ty never gets the credit he deserves it's 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 hysterical to me i was talking about this last night my twitter timeline which you know whatever right twitter (laughs) it's it's filled with people screaming for ty to be fired and it's like people have no idea everyone in cleveland loved david blatt and hailed david blatt as this genius and this world-renowned coach and they look at Ty as some moron. Right. It was the exact opposite, folks. Right. Like, right. It's the exact opposite. David Black Ty got fired. David Black oh got fired. God. David Black got fired uh, for exactly the reasons why Ty has been successful. I remember when I saw you in Brooklyn in the preseason of David Black of that first season when David Bratt was there and LeBron was there, and I remember seeing you. And, and Joe and Dave, and I remember you turning to me and saying, this guy is already done, and it's just yeah. a matter of time. And it took it took yeah. a year and a half for it to happen, but he had already – that was even before the game, the first game thing when they tried to give him the game ball and he gave it back. Like, he had already <laughs> lost the locker room after three weeks. And, you know, like you said, I, I think the people that just, like, gloss over that when it comes to tie, I think just are – are just totally missing the 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 thing that has made him such a successful coach there. Yeah, and one thing I don't want to turn this into the black conversation, um, <laughs> but one one thing about that when we walked in Miami, we walked into the press room in Miami on Christmas Day, LeBron's first year back. I said B- David Blatt will not be here a year from today. The next Christmas Day game, he will be gone, and I was wrong by about three <laughs> by weeks. About a week, right, <laughs> he lasted about three month. weeks longer. <laughs> But anyway, uh, in terms of Ty, Ty, you know, what the fact he's a former player and the fact that he understands the grind of the season, Ty is a postseason coach. I've said that. I'll continue to say that. He will punt games during the regular season to get these guys ready for the postseason. Now, it doesn't automatically mean they're going to win it every year. Obviously, Golden State is just a juggernaut. But had it not been for Kevin Durant going there, you know, I very well think the Cavs could have won it again last year. Uh, I think that series was a lot closer than four to one would indicate. Um, but I, and, and again, Ty, when you look at the year that they did win the championship, 
Ty, to me, outcoached Stan Van Gundy, who I have a ton of respect for and think he's a really good coach in this league. And Ty had Stan second-guessing himself all through that series. And then in Atlanta, uh, he, he was throwing lineups at Atlanta that they didn't prepare for. You know, Al Horford said, I think it was Channing Fry and Kevin Love, that Ty rolled those guys out together in a game in Atlanta. And, and Al said, they hadn't done that all year. We, had, we, we weren't prepared for that. We didn't see that coming. That's Ty. That's coaching. That's, that's what coaches do in the postseason. And I just, I, I just think he, I, I just don't understand why he never gets the credit that I, th- I think he deserves for managing LeBron. He will check LeBron more than any other coach. You know, I, I can't speak to Eric Spolster and what Spo had, you know, what they did in Miami, right, but right, you know, from what I've been told of, of film sessions and the way that Ty will go at LeBron in a film session, uh, I've seen him do it. You know, I put this in the book where there was a scene in Dallas at the Mo Williams facility. Uh, where the, the Kyrie and LeBron were out on the court shooting for a good hour after practice had ended and players were getting annoyed and were tired of waiting on those guys. And Ty came barging back in is like, let's go. This is rude. You know, you're making, you're holding everybody up. Let's go. And nobody challenges LeBron like that. And there's other times where Ty will sort of acquiesce to LeBron uh, and, and let him have his way. But that's, that's the give and take that comes with a superstar like that. But I can tell you unequivocally, I don't know of many people in the league that will check LeBron the way that Ty has during his time here as a coach. No, yeah, I agree with you 100%. And look, I, I think the reason Ty doesn't get the credit is obvious is that people just, you know, assume all credit slash blame to LeBron. And that that's well, what it yeah, is. And that's, that's the – no, but, yeah. but that, you know, and look, that I think any anybody who's smart and Ty is smart knows that it, that's a fine bargain to sign up for to just – Look, when LeBron's get, teams win, he gets the credit. When the team loses, the coach takes the flag. You know that when you sign up. Of course. But I think, you know, to your point about his his track record as a player, I mean, he, this is a guy who is really tight with Kevin Garnett, is really tight with Chauncey Billups. Uh, it, it, you know, his, his, it was a guy who lasted around the league for a long time, not necessarily because of his ability on the court, though he was a decent player, but because he was a guy who – knew how to fit into a locker room and be a solid guy that people liked. And, and that, that allowed him to, you know, kind of forge a, a long career in the league. And those skills are very, very clearly translated into his job as a man, as a the head coach of the cast. Yeah. It's just, it's funny because this, he, he didn't even want to take this job. And I got into that as well. Uh, some of the reasons behind it that like, this wasn't even the job. He, he came here to be an assistant, and he thought that he would use this to be a springboard as a head coach elsewhere. He wasn't even – he never even really wanted this job. Uh, and then when things with, with Blatt derailed the way that they did, uh, he was convinced to take it, and I think he's done a marvelous job. Yeah, no no question at all, and it certainly worked out well for him on, on just about every level. Now, before we switch to the book, which I want to spend some time on, what is there – you mentioned it seems like Isaiah is going to be back in – uh, December has, has there been any kind of update beyond that initial statement? Um, that initial statement that the the cast put out around around media day that he was progressing and they hope to have him back. Uh, you know, in a couple months, I remember exactly what they said as a timeline. But yeah, has there been any updates? Yeah, since then? no, not really. the The official update was that he would be back by the end of the year, before the start of the new year. Um, and and really, there has been no discussion on him beyond that. He looks good. He's, it seems as if he's doing more on the court, um, but we, he's still he's still obviously a long ways away. You know, at least a month away, minimum. Um, you know, maybe he can 
get back mid-December, earlier in December. I have no idea. That's just me speculating. Uh, I, I think we're too far out to really know. Is he ahead of schedule? Is he, you know, can we expect to see him earlier? Right. Uh, but so far, so good. We'll see. Uh, it's just that's a, that's a, you know, I was talking to uh, a trainer. I can't remember how many years ago who said the closer you get to the core of the body, the more serious the injury. Yep. So a toe isn't as serious as an ankle. An ankle isn't as serious as a knee. And obviously a hip is as close to the core. It is the core. So that that's a major injury. And the same is true finger to wrist to elbow to shoulder. So you can kind of go in order is, is a more significant injury to come back from. So it's, it's a major, major injury. They elected not to have surgery with it. Uh, you know, at first, I don't think it was progressing the way that they had hoped that it would, but it sounds like it is now. Uh, he had a lot of other issues. You know, I was talking to some people in Boston who, you know, the impression I was left with was it wasn't even so much the tear that the tear in his labrum wasn't that bad. It was some of the other stuff that he had, the inflammation, the arthritis, and there's some other things going on in his hip right. that was complicating the situation and making matters worse. But the Cavs feel like they got a good handle on it now. And, and to my knowledge, like I said, the plan is still for him to be back sometime in December. If you enjoy this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash newsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. Yeah, I know that, and that's going to be one of the interesting things to really watch as, as we go on here. But, let, but let's switch to the book. I, I Another story of me and you, I remember, I, I want to say it was at the Houston All-Star Game in 2013, you were waiting for LeBron to talk, he was still with the Heat, and I went over to say hello to you, and you said to me, uh, essentially, I don't think, I don't, I don't know if I have this exactly quoted right, but I'm pretty sure it was it was basically, I need to get the hell off this beat in the next 18 months because LeBron is going to be back here and my life is going to be miserable. <laughs> uh, you, you, you proved to be correct as you are about many things with the Cavs. And of course you never got off the beat, but, and I um, feel miserably, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's worked out though. So uh, your book, the blueprint, uh, you know, it, it does talk about, like you said, it, it you, you get into some stuff with Ty and, uh, and, and with the, the stuff since LeBron came back, but uh, you know, the, it's called the blueprint. Uh, because it's it's about it's a lot about the backstory of the time between uh, LeBron leaving and then LeBron coming back. You know, the one anecdote that came out this week was about uh, you know the the obviously completely disastrous draft pick of Anthony Bennett in 2013. <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's a it's there's a ton of great stuff in the book, obviously. But what what kind of led you to decide that that this was the book you wanted to write and and you know how did it how did it come to to be that this this you know, specific topic kind of, you know, working backwards and kind of laying out the path here was, was this, this was the path you wanted to take to write it. I am the only person who has covered this team every day, home and road, been with them every day from the time LeBron left until the time he came back. It's just me. 
So I have the whole story, and I'm the only one who lived it every single day. And you're still somehow alive, which is also incredible. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Shocking. <laughs> um, and really, really, it was around the time, around Kyrie's rookie year. So that first year after LeBron left was like purgatory in Cleveland because they had no draft picks, no hope, nothing. And it was like, and it was really from the moment, from the moment that like, cause they started out okay. And then there was that, you know, LeBron's return. And like, from that point on, it was just a disaster. Yes, it was. They lost, they lost 11 games in a row and then they beat the Knicks in double overtime. And then they lost 26 in a row. Maybe it was 10 in a row. I think they lost 10 in a row, beat the Knicks. And then they lost 26 in a row. So they lost 36 of 37 games. And I took the Knicks game off for a family birthday party. So I covered 36 consecutive losses oh, that first God. year. It was like it was like burying the same body every single day. It was awful. So and that was the that was the start of it. And and that first year was t- really tough to get through. And like the it, it wasn't just LeBron that left. The entire organization cleared out. So yes. Mike Brown gets right. fired, fired, and there's Danny a whole Ferry. new coaching staff. Yeah, right. Ferry walks off the job. Uh, Lance Blanks leaves to take the head job in Phoenix. Wes Wilcox wound up leaving a little bit after that to go to Atlanta. Uh, Chris Grant Michael was basically the, the only man standing, Chris right? was the only man left. Yes, right. it was Chris all alone, and he was surrounded by people that he never had relationships with. And he had to go, he had to, go to the ticket people, to the ticket department, and like they're trying to sell season tickets. How do you sell season tickets to a funeral? Right. <laughs> so it, it was a bad job. It was a really bad job when Chris took it. The building was on fire from and, you know, op- and, that's, and you're obviously working for you know not the most stable of uh, owners either to put it mildly. Well, he's coming off the letter, right? right. So you know it's hard enough to get free agents to come to Cleveland, and then the letter that Dan wrote certainly isn't going to help that. Right. So there was just a lot going on, and none of it was good. So once they waded through that first year of mess and muck and nonsense and garbage, really the, the trade that they made with uh, the Clippers, the Baron Davis trade uh, for Mo Williams and the unprotected lottery pick for the Clippers. When I, uh, when I talked to people within the organization, that was really the first sign of hope. Uh, the trade that they made, the Baron the Davis for Mo Williams and that, it, it finally provided some hope for the organization of a brighter future. They were assured of having two lottery picks. Uh, it's funny, the draft wasn't even considered that good of a draft in hindsight. And, you know, Neil Olshay, who was in charge of the Clippers at the time, said you made the trade because he didn't think that they could get a good player with, with where they were going to be drafting. Uh, and obviously, you know, the way the history <laughs> unfolded, that pick went from number, which should have been the eighth pick. Cavs wound up winning the lottery with it. That turns into Kyrie Irving. And that was really when they thought, we've got something special here. When they saw the type of player Kyrie was and the special talent that he was, that's when this really went into motion of, hey, we, if we do this right, if we protect cap space, we're going to lose a ton of games the next couple of years, but we're going to accumulate a lot of high draft picks. If we draft well, if we have a bunch of trade assets uh, stockpiled for the summer of 14 and we do everything right, we got a chance to get him back, to get LeBron back. Now, the funny thing is they made a ton of mistakes along the way. Uh, obviously, drafting Anthony Bennett was a disaster. Drafting Deion Waiters. Deion is turning out to be a pretty okay NBA player, but he just didn't fit with Kyrie and with what they had going here. You know, Chris Grant gets fired, the guy who kind of put this whole thing together. Mike Brown gets fired. Byron Scott gets fired. So they made a ton of mistakes and missteps along the way. 
and yet somehow it still all came together and they pulled it off. Well, and even even stuff like uh, drafting Tristan Thompson over Jonas Valanciunas. Like at the time, right. a lot of people, including me, were like, "Man, Valanciunas is really good." I'm not sure about you know drafting Tristan instead of him. What position is he? He seems like a power forward that can't really score. And it turns out that Tristan has become, you know, obviously he's not a star, but he's become a really good role player and kind of a perfect fit in the modern NBA yeah. as, a, as a defensive center who's mobile and active and, and a, you know, able to do a lot of things defensively. And he turned out to be, you know, not only because he's now rep by LeBron's agency, but he's also a perfect fit for how this Cleveland team is playing. And if, if, if at the time they had taken a guy that, that maybe people thought they should have instead, you know, we've already seen Valanciunas has become a guy that has become kind of a dinosaur in the league. So even stuff like that is kind of interesting how it shook out. Yeah, and it's 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 – I, I talked to so many people trying to get one person to tell me that they lean toward Tristan because of his relationship with Rich Paul. And everyone, whether they're with the organization now or at the time with intimate knowledge of what was going on, everyone has said that is not the case. Because it, it makes sense that by taking right. Tristan, they kept the lines of communication open to LeBron. And, and Rich Paul and Chris Grant maintained a really good relationship even through – the decision and through everything that happened and and the fallout of the organization, Rich is the one that called Chris and told him two minutes before uh, the decision started to be started to air on ESPN, he's gone, he's not coming back. And Chris asked Rich, "Where is he going?" And Rich said, he, "He's going to have to tell you that on TV, but he's not coming back." And Rich just, you know, I give credit to Rich for trying to maintain that respect with the organization and that and, and that communication, and and that you know, so now Tristan's here. And and the Cavs are in constant contact with LeBron's close friend and eventually his agent for four years. So it worked out. It's certainly to their to their benefit, to their advantage. And another little wrinkle in the whole thing, Valanciunas was represented by CAA, which was represented by LeBron, and there was still a lot of hard feelings at the time. Uh, there was not a lot of trust from, especially right. particularly from Dan, from Dan Gilbert toward Leon Rose and CAA after the fallout. So I think that played against Valanciunas a little bit. And while Tristan, you know, Rich at the time worked for CAA, but he was more closely aligned with Tristan than he was anything else. And then it wasn't long after that when Rich went out on his own, on his own, started clutch, and took Tristan with him. And so there was just a lot of little mitigating factors uh, to why they took, chose Tristan over Valanciunas. In my mind, it was the right decision. Uh, you know, the, the way that the league, and no one knew this at the time in 2010, it's not like the Cavs had the foresight to see this coming, but the way that right. the game has changed, uh, you know, the plotting big men aren't what they used to be in this league. And hybrids like Tristan, who can guard point guards and pick and rolls, and the, just the versatile, he's just a versatile glue guy. Tristan is a good guy who keeps his mouth shut. He shows up and works his ass off every day. And he plays every night. He never gets hurt. And he had the franchise record for longest consecutive games played. Finally ended it last year. And it was time for it to end because he was wearing down and he was getting exhausted. It was I thought it was a good time for, for that to stop just because the streak meant so much to him and he kept trying to go out there. But it got to the point where he was injured and couldn't go. But he's a, he just, he's a guy every organization would love to have. He's got a huge contract. Uh, and, you know, you can make a case that LeBron helped him get that contract, being aligned with LeBron as closely as he is. But he does so much for this team, so much that goes beyond the box score. One of the best offensive rebounders in the game. You know, you see every playoff series where teams are throwing two and three guys at him to keep him off the boards. 
Uh, it's really turned out that was the turning point for this organization was that 2011 draft. It was by far the best draft that they had in the years that LeBron was gone. They nailed both picks, and they had two pillars to rebuild the franchise. Yeah, I mean, it's not often it's not often you get two top four picks, and it, and if you look, you know, it, there's there's not many years where two of the top four picks are good. So, I mean, right. to, hit, to not only to not only get those two picks, but then hit them both on guys that you know, at least up until this past summer, were with the franchise and helped win a championship and get get LeBron back was pretty huge. Now. From your from from you going back and, and reporting on the book and going back through everything that you uh, you went through during your time covering the team, you know, over the last several years, what was kind of the most fun part of the book for you to write um, to, and kind of go back through and retell um, how everything came together? You know, there were some parts in it. Um, I, I enjoyed filling in some of the gaps in my own mind that didn't add up. It didn't make a lot of sense. Um, learning about how many times the Cavs went to tie and tried to get him to take the job and he refused to take it. And I don't think this has been released yet, but it is an excerpt that's coming and the book's already out so I can talk about it. The Cavs called Doc Rivers and basically told Doc, hey, convince your guy to take the job. And Doc had to call Ty and obviously Doc is Ty's hero his mentor worked with them in Boston and LA and Ty just adores doc and doc had to call Ty and tell him, listen, they are going to fire David. This is happening. You have to take this job. If you don't take it, somebody else will, but David's gone. And doc told me that he knew Blatt was getting fired. Um, when the Clippers were in town to play the Cavs and doc said it was kind of awkward for me because I knew David was getting fired. And like the, the next day, the next day is when it happened. I think it was the next day when, yeah, when, that sounds right. when, when David was swept out, David Blatt was swept out and Ty was put in his place and it took the Cavs calling Doc. And I don't know, I, I was never able to lock down this at being a reporter. You can relate. This is what frustrated me. I was never able to lock down if it was David Griffin or Dan Gilbert who called him. I'm, it was one of those two. I don't know which one it was. You'd have to think but it some, was David Griffin, right? I mean, you would have to think it was Griffin. I can't imagine Dan Gilbert making that phone call. Well, I I would put anything past this organization. But you would you would assume it was Griff, yes. And call and basically having to call Doc and tell him, hey, convince your guy to, to do this. Uh, so that, you know, it, it's the little, it's the nuances like that. Um, and being able to get into why Kyrie Irving and Mike Brown, Mike tried so hard to form a relationship with Kyrie and uh, Kyrie just resisted him at every turn. And there's a backstory to that. Um, you know, Mike, when Larry Hughes was here the first time, Mike and Larry clashed pretty badly. And Larry Hughes was represented by Jeff Wexler, who represents Kyrie Irving. So you just, it's, it's all these roots and tentacles that date back years ago that has nothing to do with the current situation, but still has an impact on it. Uh, so it, it's 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 connecting all of those dots that that I, I guess was the best part of this. Yeah, no, that that's why I remember when you um, when you first told me about the idea, I remember thinking it was just a great idea because you know, like you said, you're the only guy that was there through all of it, so you had kind of a on the ground perspective of what was happening as it was happening. But also, like like you said, there's just so many fascinating subplots there from. You know, from from just from Dan, uh, you know, from Mike Brown coming back to the organization again, um, 
to to all the stuff that happened with uh all the stuff that happened with with Kyrie just in those years before LeBron came back uh you know the whole the, you know everybody you know the, the having to rebuild the organization after everybody left to um you know to the botched draft picks and then winning three number one picks one getting the number one pick three out of four years in a row to you know eventually getting LeBron back in the first place to everything that's happened since I mean it is just a it's it's a it's been a remarkable uh seven years and so it's it's uh i'm I'm glad that you took the time to to chronicle it and and kind of lay it out there for everybody to to read through it because it is you know it it is pretty remarkable that it's worked out the way that it has yeah it's funny uh i was doing a radio interview earlier this morning they were talking about lebron james impact on this region and we're going on nearly 20 years now where LeBron has been the focal point of Northeast Ohio because first it was his sophomore, junior, and senior years when it was very clear that he was an elite elite talent and was going to be the number one pick in the draft at the time when the Cavs were just awful. And so it was always this, this obsession with can the Cavs win the lottery and draft LeBron? And then once they got him, it immediately switched to can they keep him? And can they win enough? Can they win a championship with him? And then he left, and it was can can they get him back? And then they got him back, and it was, can they win a championship? Now he won the championship, and now it's, what's he going to do next summer? So it right. has constantly been one thing after another after another. He's been in the league for 14 years, 15 years, and you can count his high school years, and we're going on 20 years, close to 20 years, that Northeast Ohio has been fixated on LeBron James in one form or another. Yeah, it's incredible. It's, no, no one's ever had a run like that anywhere, really, and it's it's been uh, it, it's been pretty remarkable. Now, one one final thing before before we go, um, since this is all about LeBron, just as of now, what is your hunch about next summer? What do you what do you think? If you had to guess right now, definitively, what happens? What do you think happens? If you would have asked me six weeks ago, I'd have said he's leaving. Um, now I, I kind of lean towards he's staying, and if you ask me in six more weeks, I'll probably tell you he's leaving. <laughs> the, the truth is we just don't know, and I, I absolutely believe he doesn't know what he's going to do next summer. I do believe that. So if he doesn't know, certainly none of us are going to know, and we're just right. throwing darts at the wall. Right. But, you know, the, the reason why I think now he's staying, you know, I guess Sam pressed you a lot of credit in Oklahoma City because after he lost Kevin Durant, he could have cashed out his chips, traded Russ Westbrook for, to the highest offer, and started a full-blown rebuild, and they didn't do that. And as a result, now they've signed – now Russ signed his extension, his $200 million extension, which in my mind very much can impact the Cavs because, first of all, any, anywhere LeBron has gone, he's taken a star with him. When he went to Miami, Dwayne was already there, and Chris joined them. When he came back to Cleveland, he called Kevin Love and brought Kevin with him. He doesn't go alone. LeBron doesn't travel alone. He's going with the star. And the Lakers, obviously, is the team everyone wants to talk about, so let's use them as the example. Right. They can have two max slots. Well, Russ made a lot of sense before he signed that extension as a guy who maybe LeBron could take with him to go to L.A. That's not the case anymore. Beyond that, you know, you look at a guy like Paul George, who's the hot name, who's going to go with him. I'm not so sure. And I understand, you know, he went to Indiana and said he, he was believing he wants to sign with L.A. And, and on and on and on. But I liken what's going on with Paul George to what happened with Kevin in Minnesota, where everyone assumed Kevin was going to L.A. And, in fact, I talked to him about this. And Kevin said, told me the other day, he goes, I never once said I wanted to go to L.A. I never once said that. But that was just the assumption because that's where he played and whatever else, UCLA. And, but 
the point is he got traded to Cleveland, and once he was put into a winning environment and made the finals, he loved it. He loved winning. Now, does he love Cleveland? No. But he loves winning. He loves playing next to LeBron, and there's some headaches that come with that. But ultimately, he chose to win. And now Paul's in a situation in Oklahoma City where he's going to win more than he ever won in Indiana. And if the Thunder even get to the conference finals and lose to the Warriors, that's still farther than he's ever made it. And I just wonder if that's enough to get him to stay in Oklahoma City beyond this year. I do, if he I, does, right? If no, he does, if, if if he's taken off the table, I don't know who's left for LeBron to take. Well, you know who's him. you know who's left? Boogie Cousins, and that's it. And I, but that's I not happening. Be, I, and that's LeBron I mean. would strangle him. Yeah. Well, that's no, what that's I mean. Not that, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's where I and that's where I've come down too. I mean, I was thinking uh, when. You know, you go back to the opening of training camp, right, which is, like you said, a, a roughly six weeks ago. And yep. I was in the same position as you. And, you know, there were people telling me that, you know, the there were, the hot rumor on the league at the time was that Russ wasn't going to sign his extension and that some combination of the three guys who, you know, the three guys who are now in Oklahoma City and LeBron would end up in L.A. And, like, that was whether it was Paul George and Carmelo and LeBron or – Ross and LeBron and Carmelo or, you know, Ross and Paul George and then LeBron, whatever the combination, it, it seemed like <clears throat> that was where this was headed. And then, you know, like you said, Sam Presti, to his credit, he pulls off the Carmelo trade. And whether that was the tipping point or Russ was just waiting for Kevin Durant's birthday to sign the extension or whatever, <laughs> then, he, then, he, then he signs the extension. And then once he signed the extension, to me, that locks in Carmelo. He's not leaving. I think if the Thunder are good – you know, Paul George, like you said, was very happy being in Indiana, would have stayed in Indiana if they were good. So I, I'm with you. I think if he, as long as he enjoys playing with Russ, um, you know, I, I think that that is a very good possibility of happening. And to your point, if that happens at that point, there's nobody left. Every, right. there, it's just it's just DeMarcus and LeBron and, and Chris Paul, who at this point, like, may just not be good anymore. I mean, that that's a bit premature probably to say, but it's just if, if the – the issue he's having now really starts to drag on into the season. You know, LeBron is, is not, you know, he's, he's not, you know, he's already left Dwayne Wade once because he was going to a better situation. He, he's not going to, you know, on a, on a sentimental bent decide to join up with Chris Paul and ruin the last few years of his prime if Chris Paul isn't still a star. So um, I'm with you. I, I think that, that that Westbrook extension really did kind of throw a monkey wrench into things in terms of, you know, people kind of gaming out this, this plan for what could happen. And, and I, I wouldn't be at all surprised if, you know, whether LeBron, you know, signs a one-year deal to kind of wait it out a year and see where things stand or, or does something else that, um, that he does stick around in Cleveland because you just look around and it's hard to see where the better option for him to win is. And I think if you, for all the people that like to put other motives on his decisions in the past, it's pretty clear if you look at the last two free agencies LeBron has had when he's left teams, he left because he was going to a better team. And I don't see any reason to think that's not going to be the same motivation this time around. And how can you – yeah, I don't I don't know how you can make the argument that the Lakers, as presently constructed, are going to be a better team than Cleveland next year. I, I just don't see it. You um, can't. You know, he, he still has an easier path in the East. He still has an easier path to get to the finals rather than go through the meat grinder of the West. Uh you know, you only have to beat the Warriors once in the finals, whereas you've got to beat up on a lot of other teams just to get to the Warriors in the West. He can be the highest, I believe, I'm by no means a capologist, but I believe next year he can become the highest played player in the game, which is important to him. Yep. And 
and just the fact that the Cavs can offer more money. And, you know, the flip side of that, and LeBron has been an incredible machine, but he turns, what, 33 in December? Turns 33 December 30th. He's six weeks uh, younger than me so by the day, so I know I know that. And Okay, there you go. Now the Cavs, the Cavs could be in a position where they have to hand a 33-year-old a $200 million contract. Now, he's never been hurt, but LeBron says all the time, Father Time's undefeated. Eventually, he's going to start to wear down and slow yep. down. And that's a, that's, a, that's a big check to write for, uh, from Dan Gilbert's point. And I don't know that he has much of a choice, really. But, it's, you know, there is some risk on the Cavs side as well to hand him that sort of contract. Sure. Uh, if, that's what, if that's what he elects to do. And maybe, and maybe he does elect to do another one plus one. Maybe he comes back for one more year next year. Because, um, you know, Chris Paul and Carmelo are both going to be wrapping up their contracts, and they can all enter free agency together. Dwayne's on a one-year deal now. Maybe he does another one-year deal. And that makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. If, if LeBron comes back on another one plus one, gives the Cavs one more year, and then they all reassess their futures at that point. Because I do believe that they that the four of them will get together. And there was one point where I actually thought that the Kyrie trade was the trigger point to bring the banana boat to Cleveland, uh, just because Isaiah's entering the last year of his contract. Oh, I thought it was very possible, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I mean, they could have had Carmelo. They easily could have had Carmelo this year. But with the tax situation that they were in, I was told it would have added another $40 million to their tax bill, and that was just too much for Dan to swallow, even with the salaries that they had going out. Right. Because they're a repeat offender, it still would have it would have crushed their uh, their tax bill. So, or else right. they could have been, you know, we no one's really talked about that, but they could have been three-quarters of the way to the banana boat this year. Carmelo <laughs> could easily be on this team, yeah. and Chris would be the only one missing. So yep. a, a lot can happen still. Um, you know, it's too early to say one way or the other. But if you ask me today, right now, if I have to guess where's LeBron playing next year, I think it's back in Cleveland. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. So, um, all right, man, I really appreciate the time with this. Uh, best of luck with the book. Um, uh, I'm I'm really happy that it's out and that it's doing well. Um, but let, uh, if you have anything work-related coming up with The Athletic, let people know where to, what's you got going on there. And by all means, uh, plug away in terms of where uh, – where people can buy the book and, and, and what they need to do to get their hands on it. Uh, book available anywhere books are sold, Amazon.com, any Barnes & Noble in the country, and, and anywhere else you could, I'll be able to find it pretty much anywhere now. Uh, the Athletic, love what we're doing there. Uh, really, really like the direction we're heading in. Working on something now with LeBron, actually, a piece I was working on today and tomorrow on the money that he has made for teammates in his career. It's staggering. Some of the contracts free agent contracts that guys have signed just from playing with LeBron. And then I got into him. I talked to him about uh, his future as an NBA owner and if he would like to own the Cavs and if he's had that discussion with Dan already. So that'll be coming probably in the next day or so, either later tonight or tomorrow on The Athletic. Nice. That'll that'll be good. I'm excited to read that. So thanks, uh, thanks again, man, for doing this. I appreciate it. And I'm sure I'll see you again soon. Thanks, Timmy. All right, thanks again to Jason for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Please go find him on Twitter. Please go buy the blueprint uh, from Amazon or wherever else you get books. Uh, support him at The Athletic. Support him there. He's a good friend of mine and does an awesome job covering the Cavs Nest for a long time, as that book will show you. It's a terrific read. So uh, thanks to him for, for stopping by and doing that. As for me, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps, on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can find me at WashingtonPost.com sports or in the pages of the newspaper.
please go find the podcast wherever you get it on the internet, whether it's from Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or TuneIn or iHeartRadio or Radio Public. Uh, Give us a five-star rating and review. Really helps the podcast out a lot. Thank you to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Go support them, find their music online and buy it. I've had a lot of people uh, say how much they enjoy the music on the pod. They're great. I've seen them in concert. All their stuff is good. Be sure to go check them out. We'll be back again next week with a couple more podcasts. But until then, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all again soon.